You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Pastor Justin Walker, or Dr. Justin Walker, is with us this morning. We can probably still call you Pastor Justin, can't we? Yeah, whatever you want. Justin is no stranger to Mount Perrin North. He grew up here and uh, was on our staff for several years uh, in different uh, pastoral roles. Um, the last several years, he has been at Lee University, where he serves as the assistant professor in Old Testament and church ministries. And uh, it is an extra special privilege that he has his entire family with him this morning. Amanda is down here in the front row. My good friend Kennedy is here. And Judah, Kennedy's shaking her head. She, we're not good friends, but I love to tease Kennedy. But we're so glad that Justin is back home this morning. Would you welcome Dr. Justin Walker? Good morning, friends. It's so good, so good to be home. I know, we miss you dearly. The the presence of God is just special in this room in a way that it's not as special in other places. And so I same God, but different gifts, you know, or something like that. But it's just, it's just so wonderful to be home. Um, and of course, that spirit, that ethos, that camaraderie, that love is a testament, first and foremost, to God's work here in this body. And it's a testament to you and your love for one another. And it's a testament also to Pastor Kirk and his leadership. And um, you have an outstanding pastoral staff that is here. And so... Um, I'm so grateful. Yeah, let's hear it for them and all that they do. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm very grateful to Pastor Kirk for this invitation. Um, Happy Labor Day weekend to you. I feel like we have a bit to catch up on. Um, So my dad was here two weeks ago, and he kind of told you the most recent family news for those of For those of you that might know, so we do have two children. Kennedy is now in sixth grade, and I know, it's amazing, and uh, just keep feeding them. They keep growing, and then um, Judah is in third grade now, and then come February the 3rd, we have a third one that will be with us, and so... That was not our reaction at first. Um... (laughs) You know, come February, we'll have 12, 9, and newborn, just like we drew it up. And so uh, we're grateful to it. We're grateful to God for it. And if we found out just a couple weeks ago, it'll be a baby boy. And so, yeah, it's, it's exciting. And so I pray that you and your family have had a good holiday weekend so far. College football is back. That's good to see. Yeah. Georgia Tech played on Friday night because they think they're a high school football team. I think that's about their ability. I know. I am a Georgia Tech fan, so calm down with the booze. Thank you. We did play a conference opponent, unlike University of Georgia, who played the equivalent of Lasseter High School last night. So I know. I'm just salty because, yeah, you're going for your third straight national title. Is that correct? Yeah. It's exciting for the fan base, I know. I feel bad for the players a bit, though, because it's hard to celebrate those national titles when you're doing court-ordered community service. Um, The University of Georgia, where character doesn't matter. So, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Stetson Bennett's not there anymore either. Maybe he could go, maybe in his seventh year, he'll get his degree. Um... 
Oh, it's just too easy. It's just too easy. It's good to be home. Let's just say that. All right. <laughs> Let's go to the Word, right? Let's go to the Word. If you have Bibles, if you have Bibles, the book of Psalms, Psalm 133 is where we are. A text about unity, ironically enough. After all of that, Psalm 133, if you have your Bibles, just throw them open. You got a 70% chance you'll land in the Psalms. Uh, Psalms are in the Old Testament. If you're on your phone, the Lord does not love you. He told me to tell you that this morning. I know. We're going to open up the altars here in just a moment. We're going to lay down our phones. They do make these in print for some of you that didn't know that. They do. It's a joke. All right. So while you're turning there, a return to... A, an important moment in the memory of our faith. It was the evening of the first day of the week and the disciples had barricaded themselves in the back recesses of a Jerusalem home. They had deadbolted the locks and drawn the curtains and armed the security system. No one in or out unless by necessity. Unless, of course, you're going to tend to the body of your beloved friend and master, who had just been executed. A few hours earlier, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple, and Simon Peter had ventured out of that home to go visit the tomb because they had heard from Mary Magdalene that the body had been stolen. But when they got there, they left with more questions than answers. To make matters worse, Mary Magdalene appeared a few hours later, rapping on the door and breathless, all but giving away their location to everyone who was around. She had some story of seeing the same man she reported missing a few hours earlier, and they all just thought that disappointment had gotten the best of her, that she was delusional, hysterical. And the last thing they needed were rumors circulating about stolen bodies and Jewish ghosts, because they knew that if the crowds met them and found them, they would have the same end as their teacher. And so what was the solution? Where to go from there? Well, there was no solution. They just waited out in their sadness and their uncertainty and their hopelessness. They just wait, not knowing what to do next. But John's gospel is important as he includes this one detail in 20 verse 19. The disciples were all together. Psalm 133, a very famous psalm, an important psalm. It's a part of what's called the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of Ascent are 15 psalms in the book of Psalms, Psalm 120 to 134, that are unique for several reasons. First and foremost, they're unique because they're the only collection of psalms that are found together within the book of Psalms. So we might have several psalms by David or several psalms by Korah, but they're scattered throughout the book of Psalms. But here we've got all 15 together, a kind of mini EP within the broader Psalms record, as it were. And these psalms are also unique because of their themes. They're about family and kind of quotidian things, daily life. They seem to have been written by mothers and fathers, and we're not entirely sure why they're called the Psalms of Ascent. Some have said because it was, they were sung by families making their way from Babylonian exile to Jerusalem. Others because they were sung by Israelites who made pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year. So this was the CD that was playing when they loaded up the minivan to go to church, as it were. 
Yeah, or it could have been because they were ascending the steps to the Lord's house. But whatever the case, these are psalms for people on the move. The psalms of Israel as they moved, and now we as God's people sing them as we march toward our heavenly Zion together. And there's movement within these psalms. They start out in loneliness. They start out in despair and uncertainty. The psalmist is all alone, and he says, I am for peace, but they are for war. But then by Psalm 133 and 134, we get a vision of what the psalmist is looking forward to. He's getting closer to God's house and you get to see what he's celebrating. And Psalm 133 is one of those celebrations. Now, I remember this psalm mostly from when I was in youth group, when the youth pastor wanted us to get along because we were on a mission trip and we were all fighting with each other. And he was thinking, we need to get these people in unity. That's what I remember it most from. But it's a soaring psalm of beauty, but very brief. And I want to read it for us and then we'll work through it together. This is what the word of God says. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. Can you say amen to the reading? of God's word. I want us to address this psalm by asking a broad question, kind of parachute into the psalm together. And I want to ask this question. What is the spirit of God up to? What is God's spirit doing? In our gatherings, we often pray and ask the spirit to do all kinds of things. We ask God, God's spirit to arrive, to enter the room, to breathe on us in more dramatic fashion, to fall on us, sometimes to flood this place and fill the atmosphere, natural disaster language used for God, all of that. What are we asking for when we ask these things? Now, it was just mentioned a moment ago that I grew up in this church, which means I grew up in a Pentecostal environment. Here's the problem, dear friends. I grew up a Pentecostal person in a non-Pentecostal body. Now, what does that mean? Well, we Pentecostals are known for our emotional expression when it comes to worship of God and experience of God. And we're known also for experiencing God's presence in our very bodies. Well, here's the problem. I'm hardly aware of the fact that I have a body half of the time. I'm not very coordinated. I was never good at sports. I went to basketball camp as a kid. I made one basket, and it was in the other team's goal. Yes, that's me. So one comedian says that his body is just the meat suit that carries his brain from one room to another, and I can relate to this idea. So growing up as a Pentecostal was, let's just put it, problematic. My antenna are broken. But I also knew that to survive in Pentecost, you have to know what's going on, and I saw a strong correlation between these requests fall on us, breathe on us, and then when the service got, you know, weird. And so I had to come up with my own kind of litmus test for when the service was about to get weird. I have signs. Do you want to hear these signs? You don't have a choice. You're going to hear the signs. Sign number one, did you invite a friend to church with you that day? If so, there is a 100% chance it's going to be the weirdest service in that church's history. Your poor friend has never seen speaking in tongues and an exorcism and the running of the aisles and a shofar, and they're going to get all four that morning, and then they're going to get out the snakes afterward. 
I would just apologize to my friends. I'm so sorry you're at my church today. It's usually not like this. Second, it's the worship service in the morning or at night. If it's night, buckle up. The spirit likes to show up in the dark. Three, are you at summer camp or fall retreat? If so, it's mandatory that services be four to five hours long, three of which are in altar call. The Spirit of God demands this from Pentecostals. Number four, what about the communicator, him or herself? What are they using? Are they using a headset or a handheld? The handheld is the wand of the Spirit. And not only that, how loud are they talking? The Spirit likes to arrive upon louder words than softer words. And also, how much are they sweating? Because the anointing is carried forward in the sweat droplets itself. And then finally, in fifth, how many times have you sung the bridge of that song? And was there a key change? Because the 10th time through, the Spirit has a contractual obligation to show up in the room. So I paid attention to all of these signs sitting in the back, hoping I wouldn't get called out and come to the front. Now, I say all of this, of course, in jest. Um, All of that is real by the way. And just because some of it's been manipulated or broken in the past doesn't mean it's all broken. Um, God continues to work in those beautiful and wonderful ways. But to go back to the original question, what is the Spirit of God up to? What is the wince and the wherefore of our tears and our chill bumps and our excitement and our joy? Well, we might say this. The Spirit of God is summing all things up in God The Spirit of God is summing all things up in God, which is to say, whether you are aware of it or not, all creation from human beings all the way down to every blade of grass your feet have touched, all of it is being pushed forward and pulled forward by God's Spirit into its God-ordained in, when God is all and in all. The Spirit is catching us up into God's own Life. As John Calvin said, the Spirit is the bond by which Christ unites us to Himself. God is ecstatically moving out of His own being to wrap us up in Himself. And those chill bumps and those tears and those invitations are all a preview of the end when all when God is all and in all. So hear me. The Spirit of God is not about unity for the sake of unity as if the Spirit had some kind of corny political cliche as his mission. We've got a bunch of political cliches coming next year. Woe is us, yeah? Okay, the Spirit is not just about unity. The Spirit is about catching us up into God, and only in so far as we participate in God's unity do we have unity at all. And that unity as the family of God is being celebrated in this psalm together. Three simple points as we work through its discourse. The first point is this. We are gathered by the Spirit, and just so our unity is found in and by God's Spirit alone. We are gathered by the Spirit, and just so our unity is found in and by God's Spirit alone. Do we have any fans of poetry in the room? Now, we've got four of us. Excellent. (laughs) If you like music, you also like poetry. But nevertheless, if you like poetry, you know that when you pay attention to a poem, you don't just pay attention to what it means. You pay attention to how it makes meaning too. So let's look at this first verse together. 
How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. Okay, when we read the word of God, we're accustomed to look for a task or a command. And though, of course, the Bible has a lot to say about us, uh, to, uh, has a lot to say about how we ought live our lives, it's more often the case that when God addresses us in his word, he addresses us not first and foremost in the imperative mood, for those that like grammar, but in the indicative mood, which is to say that God's word, even though it has commandments in, in it, is not fundamentally commandments, but instead announcements of what God has done and is doing and will do, even regardless of us. And what we have here in this poem is that kind of announcement. The poet could have said this, be ye united, for it is good and pleasant to do so. That's not what he says. What does he say? Well, the first word is likely left untranslated in your Bible. That's the word hine in Hebrew, and it means look. It's a particle that's meant to bring you into the experience of the author. It's a particle of discovery and surprise and wonder. The author is like a child on a nature walk trying to get your attention. Look, I found something, and I want you to see it too. And then he's triply redundant. He could have said, it's good for brothers and sisters to to dwell together. He could have said, it's good and pleasant for brothers and sisters to dwell together, but that's not what he says. What does he say? How good. That's a phrase of surprise, something you might say after taking a bite out of a delicious meal. And then he says, how beautiful, as if being struck by a sunset that he's just seen out of the corner of his eye. Again, the psalmist is trying to get you to see exactly what he sees. But what is it that's so good and so beautiful or so pleasant? Well, brothers and sisters are implied, brothers and sisters dwelling together. That's it. Your Bible might add in unity. And that's a good translation because, of course, it's always better when brothers and sisters are getting along than when they're not getting along. I say this as a parent who just survived summer vacation, you know? Oh, my word. Sometimes playing referee, even though we have wonderful kids. But nevertheless, the school called and they said, it's time to go back to school. And I said, it is well with my soul. You know? That's what I said. I said, please, please. So it's always better when we're getting along than when we're not getting along. But the psalmist isn't celebrating our harmony. He's celebrating our gathering. That just as we gather, whether we get along or not, it's already so very good and so pleasant. So here is where our desire to please God and to perform kicks in. Well, if God wants unity, let's give God unity to the utmost of our ability. So where should we start? Well, we cannot be the united army of God without matching t-shirts, bracelets, coffee mugs, bumper stickers. These things are important. Number two, after we're now outfitted, number two, what should we do? Well, we should agree more and disagree less. Now that sounds noble, doesn't it? Here's the problem. We can't even agree on the t-shirt design and color much less the more important things like doctrine and scripture translations and interpretation and things like that. And so we agree very little. We can't even agree on the things that should be on the list that constitutes the nature of our agreement. 
So inevitably, we're going to disagree in our positions on those list of topics about which we originally disagreed. We're in a spiral of disagreement. Some of you have already felt this disagreement this morning. You didn't like the time you were asked to be here. You didn't like that song that we sang. That's not my favorite, you might say to your family member. You didn't like that song lyric. You're disagreeing with the sermon that you're hearing right now. Some of you might take to social media in a little while and post that disagreement because heaven forbid the world be without your opinion for 15 minutes. And so we're in a bind as it pertains to our agreement. But let's just imagine for a moment, let's imagine that we could attain agreement, that all of us, our group was intentional enough, small enough, smart enough that we gathered together and got agreement on everything from scripture translation to t-shirts to song selection, the whole nine. 100% agreement top to bottom. I would venture to say that if we had done that, if we achieved that, then that would be a community not created in the image of Jesus Christ, but in the image of ourselves. That would be unity at the cost of people who are different than I am. See, in the hands of human beings, unity inevitably becomes uniformity. That what we do, we might all be speaking the same language, but we're using that language to build a tower into the heavens. We might all be speaking the same language, but we do so at the cost of the tongues of fire that rest upon our brothers and sisters who are led to proclaim the wonders of God in languages and ways that we are not accustomed to. And here's the thing, that kind of uniformity, the Spirit of God doesn't have to judge that uniformity. The Spirit of God just hands us that uniformity and says, you want that uniformity, you can have it. It is its own judgment. If you want to surround yourself with the echo chamber of your own voice, I'll allow you to do it. But in so doing, you're going to shut out my voice in the process because my voice always comes from surprising places outside of yourself. If you want to shut off my, if you want to surround yourself with people who only look like you or think like you, that's fine. But you're going to deprive yourself of the joy of finding my face in the face of your enemy or in the face of someone who isn't like you. So we go back to the text. Who is it? It's dwelling together, brothers and sisters. Now, how many of us have brothers and sisters? Oh, yes. How many of you got to choose those brothers and sisters? None of you got to choose those brothers and sisters. You just came screaming in the world and they were staring down at you. Or you're the firstborn and you enjoyed peace for two or three years and then all of a sudden somebody was messing with your stuff. We don't get to choose our brothers and sisters. We wish we could. We might love them with all of our heart, but they come in town for Thanksgiving. And after about four hours, we say, it's been so good to see you. (laughs) It's time for you to go home. Do we have any only children in the room? Only children? Oh, wow. What was it like to never be told no? I can't even. It's amazing. And so, just so with our families, so also with the families of God or the family of God, we should say. We do not create or choose our brothers and sisters. We receive them. As Eugene Peterson says, there are no only children in God's family. So the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ are not those with whom I agree. They're not my buddies. They're not those who think like me and act like me. The family of God, my brothers and sisters, are those upon whom God has poured out his spirit so that by that same spirit we call Abba, Father. 
and to share in Christ's own relationship to the Father. And here's the thing, I have no jurisdiction or authority by which to tell Jesus where to pour out his spirit and where not to pour out his spirit, regardless of denominational lines. If they are caught up in that same spirit, they are my brother and they are my sister. So the church is not a group of just like-minded individuals with the same strategy and the same ideology. If you want that kind of uniformity, you can find it. Walk right out that door, go to the nearest special interest group or political rally, and you'll see it. But the church is different. We're gathered by the Spirit of God. And as we are gathered, we look around and we're standing next to people who don't think like us, who don't look like us, who are not in our life stage, who don't vote like we do. They watch the other cable news network. And yet we have the audacity to claim that they are not just our fellow church members, but these crazy kooks, these people who sit right behind you and in front of you, you've already tried to avoid some of them this morning. Let's be honest, right? They're gonna get a hold of you in the hallway and they talk too much or they don't talk at all and they can't sing. You just heard them try 30 minutes ago, bless their hearts. And they've got the coffee breath. And if they do get a hold of you, they'll pray for you for 45 minutes and you don't have that kind of time. These crazy kooks are not just fellow church members. They're not just brothers and sisters. They are the extension of Jesus's presence to me. And I praise God for each and every one of them that I have the privilege of meeting. To walk into any church building is to walk into a family reunion. You may not know their names, but you've got eternity to do so. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great 20th century theologian. Let's give God praise. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 20th century German theologian. He says this in his book, Life Together. The fact that we are brothers and sisters only through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus Christ, is of immeasurable significance. Therefore, the other who comes face to face with me earnestly and devoutly seeking community is not the brother or sister with whom I am to relate in the community. My brother or sister is instead that other person who's been redeemed by Christ, absolved from sin, and called to faith in eternal life. Our community consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. That not only is true at the beginning, as if in the course of time, something else were to be added to our community. So we don't start with Jesus and build on it. It starts with Jesus and it's always just Jesus. But also remains so for all the future and into all eternity. Dear friends, bad news, you're stuck with me. And not just for 15 minutes or whatever it is, but for a billion years and a billion more. And I'm stuck with you too. So let's learn to get along. There is no introverted section of the heavens. Some of you are already disappointed in looking for real estate elsewhere. But nevertheless, we're all together united unto eternity. I have community with others and will continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more everything else between us will recede and the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ in his work become the only thing that's alive between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we really do have one another. We have one another completely and for all eternity. 
one of the surest signs I'm being led by the spirit of God is that I'm led to those who are different from me or who are my enemies, and yet I call them brother and sister. And just because the spirit of God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies does not mean that our enemies aren't invited to the table too. We have one another solely in Jesus Christ. Psalmist gets excited. The second point, we are filled with the spirit. We are filled with the spirit. And just so, we find our purpose in and by God's spirit alone. We are filled with the spirit and just so we find our purpose in and by God's spirit alone. The psalmist is excited. He has to tell you what it's like because it's just so beautiful. Verse two, what's it like? Well, it's like the precious oil, the precious oil. That word precious is the word tov in Hebrew. It means good, which is the same word used in verse one, how good and pleasant. So the good community is like the good oil. It's also the most expensive oil. On the head, running down upon the beard. So why so much oil? Notice this isn't just a dab on the forehead like you might receive if you have prayer on a Sunday morning. This is quite a bit of oil, isn't it? It's not just something you see, but something you feel that hits the crown of your head and that viscous goop comes running over your eyes and over your ears and down over the chin and into the collar of the robes. Why this oil? Well, if you've been to Israel, know of Israel, you know that oil is a natural resource in that land and therefore is a sign of abundance in God's favor and God's blessing. Oil was often a gift exchanged between elite members of society. It was prized and precious. But not only that, it's a sign of healing and a sign of partying and rejoicing. Ecclesiastes 9 says, don't ever leave the house without oil upon your head. A sign of gladness in enjoying the life that God has given. But as we keep reading and as we look through the image of a face covered in oil, we can make out somebody's face. The second half of the verse, not just any beard, but whose beard? The beard of Aaron running down over the collar of his robes. So it's not just a sign of riches and blessing and abundance, but now it's a sign of priestly anointing, an anointing to set apart Aaron, the first high priest of Israel, from all other persons dedicated unto holy things. In fact, the oil upon his head makes him one of those holy things like the furniture of the tabernacle. And so 1 Peter 2 tells you, dear friends, that you are a royal priesthood. Put it on the resume. You're a priest. And in fact, every Christian you've encountered in your life, whether you like them or don't like them, shares that same oil. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You just wait for it. And as we gather, the Spirit delights in pouring it out upon us. That when you see any follower of Jesus, age five to 105, they are a priest to you. And we ought treat them as such. They are Christ extended to us. Do you want a sign in your life that God is with you? Look to your left and to your right. It's not just in the miracles. It's in the brothers and sisters. Do you remember just three years ago how much you missed this? How much you missed this? And yet we gather on Labor Day weekend and we think, oh, it's just another church moment. Oh no, with the eyes of faith, the spirit is pouring out his oil of gladness and anointing and healing. And we just say, thank you. Thank you. But that's not the only image. 
he keeps going. Verse three, it's also like the dew of Hermon, the dew of Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Now, some of you have been asking me, what does the Bible say about Mountain Dew? It's a dad joke, isn't it? Oh, it's so bad. Does God prefer the code red? Perhaps. Baja Blast, it's really uncertain. Taco Bell for lunch, anyone? All right, so <clears throat> Mount Hermon, if you've been to the land of Israel, is at the northernmost part of the land of Israel. It's the tallest peak. You can see its snow-capped peak from just about anywhere in the land. It's an iconic image. And its dew is not just like the kind of little bit of water that you get on your feet when you go out to uh, get the paper in the morning, but it's an abundant water supply that feeds an entire ecosystem. And in the Old Testament, it's called the dew of heaven. It's a, it's, a, it's a sign of God's blessing and a sign of God's favor upon the land, healing the land. But here, notice, Mount Hermon, is about 95, 9,200 feet tall. Mount Zion, only 2,500 feet tall, and nowhere near Mount Hermon. It's about 250 miles away by car today. Mount Zion is the place, is, is in Jerusalem. It's the place upon which the temple was built. So notice, this isn't just a little bit of water, but as the water flows from Mount Hermon in the north, it covers and floods the entire land of Israel into Judah and makes its way up to God's temple. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that after the reign of Solomon, due to his disobedience, the tribes of Israel are split into the kingdom in the north, Israel, and the kingdom in the south, Judah. And this is remembered as a terribly painful moment in their life. But here, as they're willing to gather together, what does the Spirit do? Pours out the water of his restoration and resurrection so that what was once disunited, God has now united in his life-giving embrace. And so as we gather, if you have the eyes of faith, the Spirit of God anointing us with his oil unto a priestly task and filling us with his Spirit that what all the walls that we've built between one another come crashing down and we have only the resurrecting waters of Christ's Spirit. It really is good and pleasant. The psalmist doesn't end there. Third and final point in our gathering this morning. We are blessed by the Spirit, and just so, we have a future in and by God's Spirit alone. We are blessed by the Spirit, and just so, we have a future in and by God's Spirit alone. God, notice, to this point, the psalmist hasn't even mentioned God. He's just celebrating how good and pleasant it is. You have to look through all of the images to see God's presence. But now, this is what he says, for there, when we're gathered, for there, the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. There, the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. The word ordained is the word sava, and it means to command. That when we are gathered, however we gather, however many of us there are or few of us there are, God appoints, commands a blessing. And that blessing is by no means not just some pick-me-up to help us get through a tough work week, or a difficult time. It's not just an encouraging word to say, you know, I haven't thought of that. That helps me gain some perspective. No, when we gather, what's the final line of the poem? Life everlasting or life 
forevermore, which is to say that in this moment now, regardless of how many names you know or don't know, how close you are to the people around you or not close at all, when we gather, there is a foretaste of the kingdom to come, life everlasting. Can you remember the last time in your life when you were surrounded by everybody that you love? That could have been days ago or decades ago. There was no agenda to this meeting. There was nobody trying to sell anything. There was no uh, attempt at the end of the meeting for somebody to get you to say yes or to no or no to something. But instead you were completely yourself, hardly even aware of yourself, caught up solely in the company that you kept, not worrying about being offended or offending anyone else, gathered around the table or the fire or the living room and getting lost in conversation and telling story after story after story and laughing so hard your belly hurt. When's the last time you had that kind of moment? The word of God is telling us that there, that was not just some wonderful memory, but instead we might say that's a memory of the end. That's a memory of the future. When you wanted to bottle that moment up and keep it forever, that was a foretaste of the kingdom to come. When you lost track of time, you looked at your watch and said, oh my word, it's after midnight. I got work tomorrow morning. You didn't know it had been five minutes, five days, or five hours. That is a taste of eternity. That's why you were made. Now let's expand that table to be not just those few dozen or so people that you love, but let's include all the saints under heaven around one table, transparent completely to the glory of God, transparent to one another, all of our scars and wounds healed, laughing and talking and carrying on, losing total track of time. We don't know if it's been one minute or a billion years. That is the blessing of our gathering together. How very good and pleasant it is. The Spirit of God is moving us unto those kinds of experiences. Do you know Simon Peter? Simon Peter wasn't the most, let's say, inclusive and loving of persons. When you met Simon Peter, you were more likely to lose an ear than to gain a friend. Well, in the book of Acts, there's a wonderful story that uh, the gospel writer Luke tells us. Uh, Simon Peter, not one who is inclined to include those, especially who are not Jewish, There's a man by the name of Cornelius. Have you heard the story of Cornelius before? Cornelius was a Roman centurion, but he was God-fearing and he prayed every day and he gave his money to the poor. One particular afternoon at three o'clock, God visits him in a dream and uh, an angel speaks to him and he says, God's heard your prayers, Cornelius. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to send a delegation to Joppa, which is a beach town, South Israel. There's a man by the name of Simon Peter that's there. He's staying in the house of Simon Tanner. Confused yet? And while he is there, I want you to bring him back to your house. So Cornelius is obedient and he sends a delegation to go to Simon Peter at Simon the Tanner's house. The next day, Simon Peter is sitting on the roof of that home and he's hungry. It's lunchtime, it's noon. And in the middle of this hunger and prayer, sitting on the roof of the home, all of a sudden he gets a vision. And in this vision, a sheet falls out of heaven. And on that sheet are all kinds of unclean animals that he as a Jew would incurred impurity if he ate them. And God said, 
Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no, this has never touched my lips before. I'm not going to do it now. And God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. This happens three times. The vision ends. And Peter's left staring into the void, wondering, was this God or the fact that I haven't eaten lunch? And then the delegation arrives. And God's spirit tells him, they're here for you. I want you to go with them. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He just says, go with them. So the next day, after he welcomes them into the home, the next day, they leave for Cornelius' house. And when they get there, Cornelius had invited everybody he knew because he knew that this special delegation was coming. And upon seeing Simon Peter, Cornelius falls upon his face in reverence, an act of surrender and obedience. And Simon Peter says, I'm just a human being. There's no need for this. And then he steps into the home and sees this packed house. And Simon Peter, not one for words, says, you know, it's against God's law for me to be here with you unclean people. It's kind of what he's implying, right? Not a good first impression. It's against God's law for me to be here, but God has told me not to declare unclean what he's declared clean. And so in the course of explaining what's happened to one another, he begins to preach the gospel. And before he can even finish sharing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the spirit of God falls upon those Gentiles, those non-Jews in that house, and they all begin to speak in other tongues. And Simon Peter's friends who are with him are astounded. And they said, well, if they've received the same spirit, then what's keeping them from being baptized too? So they go out to the backyard, to the creek, and they baptize them. And right there, they all become one family. Well, word gets out that Simon Peter's hanging out with these outsiders. So they bring him into Jerusalem. When he arrives in Jerusalem, he tells them this story of what's happened. And he ends his story by saying this in Acts 11. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them as he had come upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way. We're building walls that the Spirit of God is asking us to tear down. If we would just gather and wait, that's enough. When we first saw our disciples, they were terrified on that first day of the week, totally uncertain. And these 11 men and the other people who were with them had no business being together. This was not some diversity initiative from corporate. They were all in the room because Jesus had called each of them. There they are in their fear. And what happens? John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Oh, how good and how pleasant it is. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. For there our risen Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, we are so prone to create your church in our own image. And in so doing, we fail to see your face in the face of the neighbors that you've placed right in front of us, that you've made them by the power of your blood, 
and by the power of your spirit, our brothers and our sisters. Forgive us, Lord, for slandering our family. Forgive us, Lord, for building walls between us and them on matters that the various aspects of the culture say are important. Instead, Lord, we don't have the ability to forgive, so grant us that strength. We don't have the ability to be united, so unite us in you and you alone. We gather and we wait and we say, thank you. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your life-giving waters. Thank you for your blessing. And ultimately, Lord, thank you for one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Dr. Justin, for illuminating God's word to us and revealing and reminding what the Spirit of God is doing around the world in his church and in gatherings just like this one. Church, would you stand with me? Allow me the privilege to bless you before you go. And men, let me remind you that if you have not already signed up for our Act Like Men gathering coming up here in just a couple of weeks, you can do that in either lobby on your way out. If you're new to North and you're looking to take a next step, learn more about us as a church or find a life group, Pastor Drew is waiting right outside these two center doors in the atrium. Stop by our connection point and meet with him, and he can give you all kinds of information about how to get more and more involved in what we call the Christ-centered life here at Mount Perrin North. Now allow me to bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace in Jesus' name. Let's give a response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Love you, folks. We'll see you soon. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.